Good morning. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, Malachi chapter 2, continuing our series. So if you grab a Bible in front of you on the chair, it's on page 801. Uh, turn there, and um, we'll be jumping right in there in one second. Um, but uh, before we did that, I want to give you a quick update. We, we were doing a fundraiser um, for the Sohiba Ministries in Africa that we've partnered with to help um, girls in need to learn the gospel, provide uniforms, schooling, um, help from sexual abuse and things. Uh, and the last Sunday we talked about it, we had raised $2,500 and we had asked you guys, we really hope to get to 4000 So I wanted to give you an update on what we raised. Now get this, you guys raised $8,700. That's right, that, that's worth clapping for, that is amazing. And I can't thank you enough for your heart to give uh, to, to these people that are, that are in great need. And, and, you know, we challenge you with Proverbs 19, 17, which says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And so I look forward to the days ahead, how God will bless you uh, in your life and in your relationship with him. Um, now, here's the cool thing. In 2019, if you want to go see where that money's going, we're going to go, okay? So next, next Sunday, December 10th, we're going to have a meeting for all of our mission teams after church. If you're interested in Guatemala, Japan, Kenya in 2019, are going to see Kirk and Crystal. We'd love to have you there, and uh, we'll tell you what you need to do to get there, okay? All right, let's jump into Malachi 2. Now, Malachi 2 is a little hard because we've started introducing all these things that God is not so happy with at the people, and he's going to introduce a whole lot more things, and yet we don't really get to the solution, okay? So we're, the solution is coming, and we're going to mention it briefly this week, but we got a lot to get through uh, before there. Um, if you remember, Malachi was written <clears throat> probably just before the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, maybe about the same time. And this means that the remnant of Israel had come back from Babylon. They had rebuilt the temple. They've started doing all their normal religious practices. And yet, some things just didn't seem quite right. They were waiting for the Messiah. They thought it might have been Zerubbabel. And yet, the Messiah hasn't come and the kingdom hasn't come about. And they're still in slavery to a foreign king from Persia. And so as the people are in this situation, <clears throat> the priests and the people begin to grow disillusioned with God's promises, and as their faith wavers, they begin to fall back into some of the sin patterns that they had before the exile. And so Malachi is bringing a prophetic word from God to Israel, to a call to repentance, saying, come on back, let's stop doing these things and follow God with our hearts. So we're going to look at Malachi 2 and um, and three different sections today based on what God is telling the people. And we're going to look at Malachi 2, 1 through 9, and how they are the priests are not fulfilling the covenant of Levi, and God's going to say, hey, priests, live your calling. Okay, Do what I commanded you to do. We're going to look at Malachi 2, 10 through 16, and we're going to talk about how the people are profaning the covenant of the fathers, and God's going to tell them, be faithful to your God, be faithful to each other, and be faithful to your spouses, okay? And then finally, we're going to look at Malachi 2.17, <clears throat> where the people are questioning God's character, and the Lord is going to answer their questions in chapter 3 and say, I'm the same, and I'm coming, okay? 
So here's what we want to learn from the Israelites' mistakes and see what it means to be the special, faithful people of God that are fulfilling our calling to make Christ known in the world today. So let's look at Malachi 2, 1 through 9, and how the priests are not fulfilling their covenant. <clears throat> Malachi 1, we saw just how the Lord has accused the Levites and, and wider Israel of not honoring Him with their sacrifices. Even though He's the greatest of all kings, they're not bringing Him their best. They're bringing Him blemished sacrifices, imperfect. And on top of that, they're complaining about what God has asked them to do to be in relationship with Him. They're growing tired of doing the things God has prescribed. And what we see here in Malachi 2, 1 through 2, is that God is going to warn the priests in particular that if they do not honor God's name as they were supposed to and do it from a heart that loves Him, then He will and has already cursed them. Look what it says here. And now, O priests, <clears throat> this is the command for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. And so God's purpose for Israel, He had a special purpose for them, that they would be a special people that would relate to Him, and that they would teach the nations what it means to be in relationship to God and lead them in worship and bring them into that relationship. And yet, they haven't done it. In fact, we saw this great purpose of God, this desire of God in Malachi 1.11. <clears throat> Despite the, the, the people's lack of faith, he says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So we see here that God wants to make His name great on the earth. He will do it, and He wants to do it through His people. That was the Israelites back then, and now it is me and you who God wants to make His name great through. <clears throat> so at the head of the people were the Levites. These are those that descended from Levi. Some were from the from Aaron, where the priesthood came from, everybody else was the Levites, and their job was to be in charge of the religious cult of Israel, that they would do all the work in the temple, they would support ministry to the people, and the priests were to be at the head of that. They were to be leading the band, setting the people apart to revere God's name. And yet they haven't done it. And so God is cursing their blessing, and in fact, He already has. And this leads us to an interesting consideration of sin that we don't often think about. <clears throat> this is the relationship between our sin and the consequences of our sin. Because sometimes the very sin itself becomes the judgment of God on us. And so we, we go into it thinking that we're going to get what we want, and actually we're just procuring the consequences. The priests had stopped revering the name of God in Israel, and the people then followed the priest's lead. They don't revere the, the God that the priests don't revere. This led to the blemished 
sacrifices by the priests and the people. And in Malachi 3, 8 through 12, we'll learn that in addition to that, since the people don't revere God, they stop supporting the temple, they stop tithing, they stop giving their money, they stop giving their food, they stop participating in what is going on. And guess who this affects most directly? The priests, right? Part of God's covenant with the Levites was that as they made God's name great and they taught the people well how to follow the Lord, He would bless them. He would give them a portion of the sacrifices for their food. They would get money from the temple. They would be completely taken care of by God. This was God's blessing to them. And because of their own sin now, God has cursed the blessing. The people are no longer providing for the priests. So as the priests stop revering God's name, they grow weary of sacrifices. The people have become lax and have stopped tithing, have stopped revering the Lord, and the priests are suffering from their very own sin. It makes me think about a lot of things, you know, in our world today, and it's I see it's popular for pastors, teachers, and even regular Christians to to slander the church. And point out all of its flaws on social media and other places when all we're doing is hurting ourselves. We tear down the church, God's best means of spreading the gospel on the earth. We dishonor God's name and we, we tear down the very thing that brought us salvation and is meant to be a blessing and we wonder why nobody wants to come. We end up destroying the blessing of the church as we sin against it. And if we as pastors don't deeply revere God, then, then the members of our church will not revere God. And how in the world will anybody else in the world follow the Lord? So before we turn on the church, let us, let us keep our calling in mind that it is to partner in the gospel with Christ until the world reveres His name. Let's be people that teach the world what it means to follow Jesus on our social media, Facebook, whatever you want to do. Revere God's name. Now look at Malachi 2, 3 through 4. <clears throat> Not only will God curse their blessing, but He's going to dishonor the priests and remove them from office. Now as a side note, this, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Okay, this really pleases my inner 12-year-old because this verse talks about poop. Okay, I told my boys this week that I was going to preach about poop in my sermon, and they were like, no way, Dad, that's not happening. I was like, no, go look it up. So they looked it up, and they were so excited to be at church today because I was going to talk about poop. So look what it says here, Malachi 2, 3, and 4. It says, Behold... I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offering, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know I have sent you this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So God just said he's going to smear poop on the priest's faces and the faces of their kids. You know, this reminds me of a time. That's right. Nothing good could come behind this sentence, right? <laughs> this, this reminds me of a time of my greatest encounter with poop. It happened on a Thanksgiving day in the Nevada desert. I'd eaten Thanksgiving dinner, had come back to my truck, 
And there had been a little microburst of wind that had blown a Porter John from a good quarter of a mile away that then exploded all over my truck. <laughs> Needless to say, I felt a little unclean. Okay? And that's exactly how God wants the priest to feel. Okay? Unclean. He's saying he's going to take this foul, half-digested stuff that you as hunters know are in animals out of their intestine, and he's going to smear it on your face so that they will become unholy, unclean from their blemish sacrifice and that they just need to be taken out with the trash of the temple. In essence, God is telling the priests he's removing them from office and will no longer serve in the temple until he can cleanse them and make them holy. And so why would God do this, right? This seems serious, stinky. And he, he says that he does it so that the Levites would know that this is of the Lord and his covenant with Levi would stand. In other words, he's doing this as discipline. Okay? He doesn't want the covenant to pass away. In fact, a lot of times when we face adverse things in our life, it's not God is, is against us, but rather he's causing us, he's disciplining us, he's teaching us the consequences of our actions and calling us to a better life. Hebrews 12, 6, and then 10 through 11 says it like this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful and stinky, I would add, rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so God is disciplining the Levites and the Israelites so that one day they will return to being the holy and righteous people He's called them to be to carry out His purposes. We're going to see that will come through Christ, the ultimate cleansing. God's covenant with Levi will stand, and what we're going to look at here is that it gets fulfilled in us. So now look at Malachi 2, 5 through 9. God's going to recount what the Levites are supposed to be like according to the covenant and then how they failed. And as we read this, think about the great high priest and how this talks about him. Malachi 2, 5 through 9. My covenant with him, Levi, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And so the Levites were to revere the name of the Lord, to fear Him, to teach the people what it meant to do that very thing. The Levites have stopped doing what they're called to do. 
Now, it's easy to look at this passage and go, oh, this is for pastors, right? It's all the pastor's fault. You don't lead well. And that's true to some extent. The leaders of God's people have a, have a greater responsibility to do God's work well, to equip the saints for ministry, to provide an example of what it means to live in the grace of God. But this is the cool part. Part of the miracle of the gospel is that through the sacrifice of Christ and His complete cleansing and the sending of the Holy Spirit, this covenant with Levi will stand and it will be you and I who are called priests of the Most High God. And it is our job to glorify the name of God wherever we are, to revere His name, to teach people what it means to follow Him, to bring them into the people of God. So in Christ, we are all priests. We have a similar call in our life to make Jesus great. Look at this. I love how Peter talks about this. You know, when you, when you, when you understand your Old Testament, you just, it just opens up the world of the New Testament. And, and Peter's drawing on these exact ideas when he talks about us as a priesthood. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, that you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Malachi says the priests are giving blemished sacrifices. Peter says in the New Testament, make right sacrifices as the people of God as priests. Romans 12.1 tells us how to do that. Present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Paul goes on to tell us you do that by learning God's Word, learning what He has to say, and then you conform your life to it, and you, you stake it all on that in faith, and you live it out in the world. Peter talks about the sacrifices, but look what else he says about the priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You're to make God's name great on the earth. You're to talk about how he saved you, brought you from where you were to where you are now, and how you're looking forward to being with him. Malachi says the priests were to honor God's name, teach others to do the same. And Peter is telling us as New Testament priests to proclaim the excellencies of God to the world. If you are a believer in Jesus, then you are a priest of the Most High God, made to give right sacrifices from the heart and teach others to follow Jesus. This calls us to question. It says, do we make His name great in our life? Does your Facebook page say you make Jesus great? Are you discipling the people around you in ways to teach them how to follow Jesus? Those that God has entrusted to you, your wife, your kids, your family, those at work? Do you offer God your first and your best as a sacrifice? The Lord, through Malachi, has addressed the priest and their failure to make God's name great here at the beginning, Malachi 2, 1 through 9. 
But now Malachi is going to indict the nation as a whole for profaning the covenant of the fathers. And so look with me here at Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Here's what Malachi 2, 10 through 12 tells us. He says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the, co- the covenant of our fathers? Judah has become faithless, and the, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Listen, Malachi 2.10 is not a statement about the, the brotherhood and sisterhood of man, but rather a statement about the common heritage of the Israelite people and Abraham, their first father, who God promised to make them into a great nation. In other words, they're experiencing God's goodness and grace, and they should see each other as co-inheritors of God's promise. And they're treating each other badly. This is not unlike how Paul views the church in Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, where he encourages us to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. In other places, the New Testament says, love each other as I have loved you. Paul goes on to say there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Love each other. You're in this together. The covenant of the fathers referred to here by Malachi, I think is best encapsulated in the Mosaic covenant or the law. And Jesus summed up this covenant in Matthew 22, 34 through 40, when he says that, It can be two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the exact things that Malachi is indicting the people on. He's saying, listen, guys, you've been faithless to one another, and by doing that, you're profaning the covenant of the fathers. This is is a general statement about their their faithlessness, but it points out that the people are treating each other badly. And we see what they're doing in Malachi 3, verse 5. The Lord says He's coming in judgment. He's coming to judge, and He's starting with the His people, and He's going to judge the sorcerers, and He's going to judge the adulterers, and those who swear falsely, and those who oppress hired workers, and those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, and against those who throw out the sojourner or refugees, and they do not fear Me. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about God's people doing that to each other. Everything there listed is a sin against another human being that is a part of God's covenant people, and it breaks the covenant of God's law. They're not living out the call to love their neighbor. We get another particular indictment in Malachi 2.11 that says, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Here Malachi is telling you, you're not loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. 
the, the people had been marrying foreign women, those from surrounding countries that worship foreign gods. And when they got in their marriage relationship, they began to drift away and, want, and, and uh, worship the gods of their wives. And they had even started bringing this back into the temple. Here the Israelites are not doing the second half of what God's law is, which is to love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. And we see this, if you want to read about it, and I encourage that you do, go to Ezra, read chapters 9 and 10. Here you'll see when Ezra finds out what the people are doing, he, he rips his clothes, he tears out his hair, and he, he, he sits there ruined thinking, what are we going to do? God's judgment is coming. You get the same thing in Nehemiah 13 that recounts all these sins of the people that they were doing after the exile. And yet Nehemiah is a little different, right? He confronts the people. He beats some of them up. He pulls out their hair. He says, we've got to get this right or God's coming. Now listen, I want to say one thing here. God is not against interracial marriage. Okay? That would be a wrong reading of the Old Testament. What God is against is that we as God's people who place faith in Him would marry somebody that would carry us away from Him. Because as those of us who are married know, if you are married, some compromise on religion will be found in marriage to keep the peace. And it usually goes the easier path. It is not to follow the Lord. So if, and this is hard, right? Because some of us have unbelieving spouses. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that if that is you, if you find yourself in this, God is not mad that, that you, you don't have a believing spouse, but what he wants you to do is to live out the gospel in front of them. He wants you to serve them, lay down your life for them, display the gospel, teach them the best that you can about the gospel, and pray for them that they would come to know the Lord. And that's hard to do. And for those of you that are looking for a spouse... Get it? Listen, I know that Utah is a hard place to find a Christian woman or a man. It's hard to find a husband or a wife that keeps the faith of God in Utah. And yet part of what God is indicting the people is that they've become faithless. They're not believing God's promises that God is big enough to provide for them and can provide them a spouse, right? So if that is you, if you're looking for a wife or a husband, don't settle for somebody that will carry you away from the Lord. God will honor your faithfulness to Him, and He will provide for you. You keep seeking Him. Furthermore, I think this section, and we don't often think about this, it, it points us as the, the 21st century church. It reminds us that, that my sin, my personal sin, and your sin, it affects all of us. And when I break faith with the Lord to indulge in my sin, it, it says to you, it's okay to go break faith with God. And part of what God wants His people to do is, is stay committed to the covenant, keep each other accountable, keep seeking the Lord together. In fact, Hebrews 10, 24 says to spur each other on to love and good works. Don't fall into sin and just pretend that everything's okay. Because that teaches others to do the same. And it's a sobering thought that brings gravity to our, our daily life, our pursuits, our worship, and our fellowship with one another. 
I had a preaching professor one time, and uh, he he gave this illustration that he was frustrated with many of the young guys coming out of seminary. They would post on their Facebook wall. I'm talking a lot about Facebook today. Um, Mark Zuckerberg would be proud. But anyway, a lot of these guys coming out of seminary would post on their wall their favorite beer they're drinking that afternoon, and this, that, and the other. And he would point to this and say, "Look, guys, you, you're not you're not revering the Lord. You're not bringing other people into this." Okay. In fact, here's what he would do to counteract that. He'd go to the grocery store, whatever canned vegetable he bought that day, he'd take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. Hey, look, I'm eating green beans today. I'm eating, can- I'm eating corn. And so our sin, our collective sin, affects one another. Now look at Malachi 2, 13 through 16. The Lord's going to make another particular uh, indictment to the people for the ways they've broken the covenant. This is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit and their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, it's, it's important to note that other translations of this last verse of Malachi 3.16 say it even stronger, and you may have heard it, where it says, God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And he who covers his garment with, with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So here the, the Lord is refusing the people's sacrifices. He's refusing their blemished Offerings because they're divorcing their wives, and as we learned previously, they're marrying other women. Now, divorce is a touchy subject for us, and I understand that. And it's a hard thing. I think almost everybody in this room has been affected by divorce. It's a hard thing. It hurts. It hurts kids, it hurts those involved. And and I think God wants us to see in this passage that it hurts Him. You know, Malachi 3.15, I think, teaches us about the deep nature of the union in marriage between a man and a woman and even the sexual union between these two. That it's, it hasn't, it has, God's Spirit is in it. As their spirits mingle, God is in it in a Christian marriage. And so to break the marriage covenant before God, it's a spiritual offense. God is hurt. And I want to show you why, and I I think this is important, so so hang with me on this. In in the Old Testament, we saw that God says, what was God seeking here in this marriage between His covenant people? He's seeking godly offspring. And so in the Old Testament, the marriage covenant is supposed to be part of the way that you are participating in God's promises to Abraham. 
That as you say, we will be God's people, that you would have offspring, you would teach them to follow the Lord, and what God is doing is is growing his people that he promised to give to Abraham, and eventually he's going to bring Christ through that line. And so to get divorced from your covenant partner, someone who is in the covenant with you, would be to reject God and to step out of what he's called you to be. Similarly, in the New Testament, marriage covenant has a special purpose. And Paul tells us what it is in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, that it is to be a picture of Christ in the church, that as a believer in Jesus, when you you get married to another believer in Jesus, the way that you love her as a man and lay your life down for her, and the way she responds to your love and, and, and helps you, serves you, is meant to proclaim God's gospel to the world. And so what does it claim when, when, we, when we get a divorce? That Jesus doesn't love his bride or his bride doesn't love the cross. And so to get a divorce mars the gospel picture that God wants to send to the world, and God hates it. Now God gives provision for divorce in the Old Testament and the New Testament because he says our hearts are hard. And there are legitimate reasons when a divorce occurs. But this is not the first choice of God for our marriage relationship. And, and let me just say, if you're, if you're in your marriage and you're struggling deeply, God cares deeply about that. And in fact, He has what you need. He has the power that raised Jesus from the dead to turn the hearts of you both, your wife and, and the husband to each other, to change your lives, to redeem your marriage and give you a greater picture of the gospel than when you started. But here's the condition. You have to be willing to walk that road with Christ. And so many of us aren't, and God says, you don't have to. And so if you're in that place, let me encourage you. Press into this, what it means to, to this picture of marriage between Christ and the church. This is really the remedy, is learning as a man how to lay down your life for your wife. That means everything. And as women, how to respond to that in appropriate ways. And here at Risen Life, we take this serious. And if you're hurting, let us know. We would love to counsel you. We have seen many marriages redeemed. Many. God can do it. And that's part of what this section is about. You've become faithless, and here's a great example of your faithlessness. You won't bear with your wife. Finally, this passage teaches us that one of the two places in the Bible that our relationship with our spouse affects our relationship with God. It's because God is in this marriage when you're, when you're there and to, to refuse to, to display gospel principles to that person that you've covenanted with before God means that you don't want to walk with God and His purposes. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us the same thing, that men are to love their wives well, walk with them well, so that God will not hinder their prayers being heard. So again, your marriage can be redeemed. And for some of you that... that have, have had a divorce and you find yourself in another 
marriage or alone, God, God says, there's forgiveness. I love you. And it pains me what happens. God says, press into the gospel and see where you can confess things that went wrong and how you can live in this next situation better in the gospel. So the Israelites have been faithless. They've broken the covenant with the fathers. They're not loving their neighbors or God. They've been faithless in their marriages. And their lack of faith leads them to this last questioning of God's character in Malachi 2.17. And this, this Malachi 2.17 really begins the next section of Malachi that's going to be answered in chapter 3. Okay, so we're only going to say a little bit about it. But the, the priests have quit revering God, which leads to the people not revering God's name, which leads to faithfulness, to uh, lack of faithfulness between the people of God and God himself. And it leads finally, as we'll see in Malachi 3.14, to the, the people saying, it's vain to serve God. Why would I do this? But in Malachi 2.17, the people are questioning the Lord's character and plan, and here's what they say. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Why are people saying this? Remember that they had come back and the, the kingdom that they were promised hadn't come about yet, and so they're growing disillusioned. And we get these beliefs of the people that are perversions of God's character and plan for the world. And the hard thing is I feel like I see these attitudes far too frequently amongst my peers, even those in the church. They haunt me that people ask these questions by saying everyone who does evil is good. So the Lord, he delights in them. For Israel, that was, that was the Persian company or <laughs> country that still ruled them. God must favor them instead of us because they're ruling us. He's helping them, not us. Furthermore, they see more and more of their countrymen turning away from the Lord, and guess what they're finding? They're finding prosperity. They're doing well. God has not poured out His judgment on anybody. So God must be, He must have changed. He must be pleased with what they're doing. And so as their faith dies, they become more disbelief, and the disbelief begins to taint the way that they see God. And I think this question gets at the social dissonance we feel in, in our culture. We look around at the world, and everything seems to be going fine, and, see, and seemingly even the bad people are doing great. Proverbs speaks to that. We don't see or feel God helping us, so we begin to help ourselves go after our own things. Take a little bit of the, what the world says about things and think, oh, it's not so bad. It's got freedom in Christ. In fact, maybe he just delights in these activities of mine, and, and we begin to fall prey to a socially bound God and gospel. We begin to believe the world determines what is right. Society determines it, not God. And then we experience hardship or ease, and we look at our experience and see, see, that proves who God is with. By doing so, we begin to call those who do evil good, and that even God delights in them, loves them. We leave God's revealed standards in the dust for a God with a nature of our own design. 
And this distorts the gospel, and this is what we get. We get, we get the social gospel where, where God is more concerned about helping people out of their situation than about their heart change and salvation found in Christ. We get the sexual gospel that God is more concerned about you finding true love and having a great sex life than pursuing a pure life, a holy life, a, a marriage commitment before God. We get the prosperity gospel that God wants to bless you and make you rich more than he wants to see you suffer and be sanctified. We get a universal gospel that says, however you want to relate to God, he's good with that. And we discard teachings about Christ. And God says, you weary me with this. You wear me out. You're my people. I love you. God will say in Malachi 3.6, I, I am the Lord, I do not change. God's standards and His calls in the life of people have not changed since the first page of the Bible. He's a God of love, He's a God of justice, and He'll say in chapter 3, I am coming. In fact, this other question in Malachi 2.17 is the question, where is the God of justice? Where are you, God? When are you bringing the kingdom about? How come you haven't restored the kingdom? How come I claim your promises, we do the temple stuff, and you never show up? You used to show up. God, you're not fair. Where are you? You ever ask that? There, if there was a God, he would, he would stop all this injustice that we see in the world. Jesus said he would come back, and he hasn't yet. So many of us say, God, I'm done with you. It's vain to serve you. You never show up. And God answers all of these allegations in Malachi 3 and says, I am the same. I am coming. I will suddenly come into the temple. And I think that happened when Jesus, as a little boy, walked right in. And I will bring justice, and it will start with the judgment of those who claim to be mine, and so get ready. That's what God is telling in Malachi and Ben, you can come on up. And in Malachi 3, we'll see the Lord is gracious to us. He loves us. He doesn't want this to be the end of the road. He wants to redeem His people, get them back on track to proclaiming His name in the whole earth. And he gives us the remedy in Malachi 3.7. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's it. And we know that Jesus came, the Lord came, he dealt with sin on the cross, and he gives us a way to return to him. So if you find yourself beset with any of these things we've talked about, God says, return to me. I've paid for it. Come back. Repent, find forgiveness, and I will change you from the inside out so that you can carry out my purposes. So the question for us is, will we return to him? Will we find salvation? Will we become clean? Will we wipe the dung off our faces and pursue the purposes of God in Christ for us as his believers? Now, as we come to a time of communion this morning, communion is for believers. We practice open communion, and anybody who has confessed Jesus as Lord is welcome to partake 
of communion. And when we come to this time, God asks us to do a few things. He says, hey, I want you to consider where you are with me. Have you been sinning against me? And have you been sinning against the people in this room, his body? He says, confess those things to me. Find forgiveness once again as you come. So I'd ask you, have, have you been sinning lately? Have you been sinning against here, people here? Have you been faithless? God says, let's take a few moments and think about those things. And then we'll come to celebrate the table where we remember that God paid for all of those sins, that he gave us his righteousness, that now in Christ he sees us as completely clean. No more poop on my truck. Okay? And we can walk life with him, proclaiming his name to the world. So let's take a few minutes to confess to him. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's table. It's not ours to demand or restrict. And we pass out the elements and everybody holds until everyone has and then we partake together. 